0: I need my coffee, it's in my eyes. I need my coffee, I need it now. I need my coffee so I don't feel so down. I need my coffee, I need it now. I can get by the
1: donut.
0: You're back, and so are we. Welcome to the Exchange, presented by Olim Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. I'm a little under the weather. And that may be why my voice sounds better than ever. This is episode five and part two of a discussion on sales and marketing with a little branding on the side. We're going to rejoin our hosts as they're right in the middle of talking about the challenges of branding on quality when everyone is branding on quality. And here they are, Mark and Todd
2: you know it's interesting and and i think in time you know the the idea of selling at the very upper echelon of quality uh, as we kind of established earlier is is become harder and harder um you know and, and it begs in my mind uh you know the question of well you know do you do you grossly limit your potential size and market do you do you grossly um you know minimize uh the the sort of I guess diversity of your clientele, you know, right. given the fact that you're only trying to sell, you know, either a very particular preparation of coffee or a very particular um, you know, quality level finish roasted or, you know, whether it's, you know, hanging your hat on the greens or, you know, the process that you uh employ after. But but I do feel like, you know, that that even just uh you know the, the amount of really well-roasted specialty coffee in the, in the marketplace is just so much uh, wider um, these years later, you know, that uh, you know, it's really a tough spot, um, you know, to do that, which, you know, beyond that, I, I feel like it's, it's a message I'm, I'm getting into with folks all the time who've kind of, you know, maybe that's how they establish their business and, and it's the love of specialty coffee and the, the dedication to craft and the extremes and, you know, the artistic, uh, craft, uh, element, um, that is necessary to, to really compete at that level. They got yeah. them in, um, yeah. but they can't help as they grow to say, well, how do I offer something? Um, you know, whether it's cost to value, whether it's, you know, even just like an accessible cup profile. I mean, you know how do i offer something more uh so that my my following my my guests my you know list of uh you know wholesale clients you know so that that's a wider you know so that there's more sure. accessibility and uh you know that's one thing when we get to talking about quality that i think is just so critical is you know do you have offers you know that that essentially engage that market that you're you're shooting for you know um, it's, a, it's something I think that's interesting about selling green coffee. I mean, as you know, cause you have people come in and they they might ask, Hey, do you have, you know, a container of, of, uh, Columbia such and such, um, you know, and do you have it here and, and during this time frame? and, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of time where, you know, that's an impossibility, you know, right. oh, I don't have that, but could we talk about this? Right. right. Um, you know, but I think it's it's a lot harder given you know the nature of production, roasting, and production. How you know your how a, a roaster might aim to to limit their scope of offerings, like sure. we talked about in yeah. the blending episode. It's it's harder to uh, you know to really have that range and to do so intentionally to engage the 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 types and the the range of customers that you're looking for. So you know, I would strongly recommend, I guess, as a bottom line you know, identify those target, uh, you know, sort of uh, those target markets, if you will, uh, that you're trying to crack into and make sure that there are coffees on your offer list that that are the right taste profile and and the right cost of value. And that, uh, you know, you have the, essentially the appropriate variety to actually engage those people once your message and your brand, uh, you know, kind of, you know, pique their interest. So, um, yeah, no, one thing uh, that that and uh, this has certainly been something that's uh, become absolutely central to selling coffee. I mean, hence it being a pillar. But, you know, something that it's been interesting in my career path. I've always served this role and I've served it for a variety of companies over the years coming up. But but the idea of service through the lens of training yeah. is absolutely a key part. Um, you know, I mean, we would joke saying, you know, uh service is the new equipment, right? Because historically everybody would place free equipment with the obligation or the contract right, of right. roasting, you know, only their coffee. It seems, you know, there was this this shift towards, you know, well, we have the best service. And uh and I guess you know, I wanted to kind of shift the discussion to talking about, well, what ways should roasters consider filling out their team to provide service? What does that mean? So I'm curious to just pitch it over to you and, and, you know, um, you know, with your many seasons in the field over so, so many years,
1: yeah. um, you know,
2: what have you seen as changes yeah. and what do you feel like that leaves us with in terms of a reality for a new and upcoming roaster?
1: Well, I mean, I, I could not, uh, lean on this particular pillar hard enough. I think service is, and customer service in general, uh, a is becoming a lost art. As we become more digitized and more detached from people, uh, but it's something that people crave more than anything. I mean, if you can imagine areas in your life where you've had outstanding customer service or you felt like you were completely taken care of from start to finish, you that is memorable to you. Uh, I talk about this a lot in other parts of my life, not here on the podcast. But a company that I've uh, have been a longtime fan of and is now in the coffee space is a company based in Atlanta, Georgia, called Sid Mashburn. And he's a a clothier, he's a a clothing designer, a very, very pedigreed uh, clothing designer in the industry. And when you go into his stores, you could not feel like you're having a better experience. You are greeted. The minute you walk in, they, they use the term, uh, hug them with your eyes when they walk in the door. You're offered a cocktail or a, a beer or a glass of wine. There's vinyl you know, records playing in there. There's somebody playing ping pong. There's a leather chair and they're selling men's clothes. And the vibe, the atmosphere in there is great. If you want help, they are there to help you. But they aren't hovering over you to like, you know, what can I do for you? What are you looking for? And, you know, doing that stuff, which tends to drive me crazy and in coffee it's the same way a lot of wholesale customers don't have nearly the experience or knowledge that a, a roaster has in how to prepare coffee and how to sell coffee and, and and how to talk about coffee and they are uh admittedly um apprehensive about that and the more that you can make that customer feel welcome and uh engaged and uh and ten, you know give them the time the focused time to address all of the areas that they feel inadequate about is going to pay off, you know, exponentially for you with loyalty from this customer, as well as you're going to help them grow. And and in turn, they're going to buy more coffee. Um, I, uh, you know, unfortunately was one of those roasting companies that did uh, place equipment uh, for years, uh, which is a very, very awful uh, avenue. But when you do that, Uh, What you can't have is a customer calling you Saturday night saying, hey, you know, my my brewer's not working and I'm open at 8 a.m. tomorrow. And your response is, oh, I I can't get you till Monday. Uh, You you know, the customer service angle would be I'm getting in my truck right now. I'm going to come make sure you're up and running by tomorrow. That type of follow through, that type of dedication to your customer is is so important. Uh, you know, training—you know, like you, you're aware of. Todd is 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 also very important, especially with the preponderance of latte art now becoming the norm in the industry. Most people who buy a coffee shop or have a donut shop that serves coffee, they don't know how to do this, and they desperately want to know because all of their competitors are doing this. And if you're able to provide that training and get their staff to that level. It is a huge advantage for you out there in the marketplace.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's such a key value to having a team that's that's strong, that's educated, you know, that that culturally, uh, you know, is uh, confident uh, and empowered and out there, you know, making decisions to uh to make your guests feel at home and to and to you know sort of feel the the uh, all the aspects of quality um that are communicated uh you know by by and large by most uh you know specialty coffee retailers, you know, and uh and I feel like you know that's something that uh, presence and and being local uh, certainly assists with. I think it's also you know, something uh, that establishes a certain thought leadership that that puts a a roasting company in a a really ideal position with their customers as well. You know, hey, uh, we're on this pursuit for, for, you know, quality, for excellence, um, you know, for, uh, you know, fantastic coffee. And, you know, we're taking you there with us. Um, You know, that's a really attractive um, message and and reality and experience Uh, as a buyer. I think, you know, beyond that, it's, it's, you know, in the best interest of the roaster as well, where, you know, you're essentially sending off you know your coffees with the hopes that they're being presented the way, um, you know, the way that you might. Uh, and, you know, that's not always the case. No. So, you know, it is a two way street. And I think it's become a critical part um, that that any roaster, no matter how large or small, at least has to engage, well, what are we going to do about that? You know, are we going to, um, you know, be, be, you know, as, as developed and, and comprehensive as a, uh, counterculture with, you know, regional labs and, you know, entire curriculum top to bottom and really just like world-class, um, materials and, and, uh, and trainers, uh, are we going to be, you know, more, uh, low key and and supportive as necessary? I mean, all of these things I think come out, but, but it's a a, a huge, um, if not the central touch point, you know, at this stage in the well. And I,
1: and I think, and I think for coffee roasters that get into this, this trumps price. I, I think that you can charge more if you're offering this level of service because you're going to have to staff up for this. You're going to have to hire people with a certain level of expertise. You may be having to work harder for these accounts and the account will gladly pay for that experience. I, you know, if if you fly, uh, you know, Virgin Air compared to Frontier Airlines, you understand the difference in price. You are, you have an experience when you fly, you know, Virgin Airlines versus, uh, you know, Frontier where, you know, they basically, you know, shove you in these tiny seats and they charge you for everything, you know, as an additional charge and you're treated like you're on a Greyhound bus in the sky Not all of your customers are looking to get coffee as cheaply as possible. Some want an experience. Some want to feel like they're a part of something. Some want to feel like they have a company that has their back when they need help.
2: Yeah. This cost is going to be something that someone has to carry. It's on one side or the other, right? So, you know, so I think that uh, that you're absolutely right that... um, you know, when you look at it as, as you know, someone who's getting, uh, you know, a, a coffee shop owner into retail, I mean, the question is, well, do I in-house this and hire a full-time trainer who has this type of expertise, you know, or can I, you know, have it factored as an incremental part of the business I'm doing? Either way, you know, someone with, uh, you know, a good head on their shoulders is is saying, you know, there's no free lunch. Like, I'm paying for this one way or another. So, wow i can get this employee essentially indirectly and at just the um you know just the scale that i need them you know to support my team instead of you know trying to uh support what would be a role that's right. probably too heavy to carry on their own right um you know in isolation so um yeah huge i mean i i think too you know another aspect of service and it's it's a less uh sort of posh or you know, less sexy for sure. But the, uh, you know, the whole idea of like custom products and blending white labeling, you know, this is certainly something that's out there that I think a lot of specialty either shy away from for the sake of, you know, just having a a brand maybe that disagrees or, you know, it's business that uh, that seems or is perceived as below the company. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, custom, you know, product engineering and and working specific to, you know, an account uh, that that can mean really good business and really consistent, you know, um, really collaborative, uh, positive business uh, that can grow your volumes and increase your buying power and, you know, really lead to. Uh, a lot of growth, and um, and certainly being able to do so. I mean, there's companies out there that this is the core of of who they are. I mean, there's you know these massive roasting companies that you'd never even know right. their name. You know, if you drove by it, you just you know see a, see the massive building with a smokestack coming out uh, and wonder what they were making. You know, and and they've built their whole. Their whole sort of empires on uh, you know building out products, but but as the specialty space has has become higher touch and more local and more you know uh, craft, I mean there there are customers that you know they're not just looking for you know a forgettable coffee in a bag with their name on it. They're looking for a specialty product that was you know locally roasted, craft roasted, uh, with the type of expertise that your company might stand to give them and um you know but they want it uh, a way that they can engage sure. their customers with their their name and their brand so you know it's Absolutely. certainly something not to take lightly well i think the you know to get into the last pillar this is the one that's probably right. the least uh exciting to engage but probably uh, when you're really talking about sales, and if we're if we're truly honest, I mean, this becomes a driver for for everyone, no matter what they care about. This is in the top three, um, mainly just because any sustainable business has to ask the question: you know, what's the price? Um, and I guess you know, my question for for you, Mark, just to kind of give you the floor to take this a direction is, you know, how do you, for for you know, broadly speaking, for many different types of roasters who are competing in different spaces, you know, what are the biggest concerns as as they craft their price list and think about their pricing strategy? Um, you know, what are the biggest things they have to engage? The questions they have to.
1: Well, ask? I think that the two main questions are, you know, what, what's the what's the product line? What am I selling here? And is it priced accordingly? And I and I find that even when it comes to to a company like ours, well, we've run into this problem before is that if we're selling extremely high end nice coffees, you should not, even though this is against your better nature, you should not be trying to offer these at a bargain because it instantly devalues the idea of this as a luxury product. So, you know, if I was selling the Esmeralda Geisha at $3 a pound, I would have a much harder time selling that than if I sold it for seventy five dollars a pound, because the, the the idea of the two dollar pound coffee as well, it, it it can't be that good, and and there's got to be something better out there, and it, it just shifts the entire dialogue away, um, and we have found this being you know as Olam Coffee is a, is a quite a sizable importer, and we have mills in our own country in in producing countries, and uh, a certain scale that allows us to sometimes get copies at very good prices that we find that when we give these prices to customers, they'll, they'll, their reaction is, Ooh, that, what's wrong with that, that, because I see it, you know, at other places for much more expensive uh, prices. So that I think can hurt you as a, as a roaster, if you're going to sell something exclusive and if you're going to really wave a flag about something that you had to dig deep to get your hands on, ask, an appropriate price for it, conversely, if you're selling in a in a price conscious tight wholesale market, you have got to be price competitive if you are not, you are going to get crushed or completely overlooked and ignored and that uh that price that uh, cost cutting uh you know to to fall in line can be achieved a number of ways, one of which is just buying green coffee smartly. Uh, And and secondly, it may be questions like, you, you know, roasting my own coffee in my own factory in the long run. Is it actually cheaper to go to the big factory with a smokestack that you had mentioned? Uh Because I could get it roasted far cheaper there and not have all the overhead, those are the types of questions that one would have to ask themselves. but price on the on like the grocery wholesale or like institutional level if you're trying to get into colleges and to uh large corporate campuses uh you know you have to be very very tight on your pricing and you know to compare specialty to the uh commercial world, I mean you could lose. A, a million dollar deal in commercial over a one penny a pound, it could be that ridiculous versus specialty, which you know there tends to be a lot more price flexibility in there. But but the message that I get from the commercial guys is you have to have your numbers in line, you have to understand your cost and be able to compete with your your uh, you know competitors out there uh, in the open world. So in that that and that to me is much tougher to achieve than just selling super high-end coffees and asking skies the limit pricing because really, you're selling a product that's based on luxury, not about anything else. Nobody's trying to save money on a Bentley or a Ferrari. They want to pay because they want something that's outstanding, and they're not asking, you know, can you shave $5,000 off the price of this car? And that becomes, to me, in my opinion, a much easier sales proposition than competing, especially as a small roaster, uh, against very large roasters that that have that economy of scale that they can roll in to make their prices lower and much more competitive,
2: yeah, I feel like it's almost uh you know begs the question at points you know who to compete with and who not to worry about right i mean you you have to pick and choose your battles right and and anyone in business or you know uh, they they would be much better suited to pick battles that they stand to win than to you know to go out and to uh to essentially. You know, try to sell and, and invest time and energy and resources behind, you know, leads that uh, that don't stand to turn, you know, to turn into much. Don't don't stand to come to fruition, you know, from a sales standpoint because, uh, you know, the economies behind uh, the economies of scale behind production, you know, A to B just aren't comparable. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to me working with you know micro to to midsize roasters, you know, many of whom are. You know, in a in a space that is almost, uh, you know, somewhere in between the two points that you make, Mark. Where, you know, obviously, if you're at retail, you know, the, the classic retail model is you you express the quality of your product by the price that you set. Right. If if you're at wholesale, you base the co- the cost of your product, uh, or excuse me, you base the the price or the ask uh, for your product uh, against the costs uh, that you have sunk into it and your production costs, right? Right. But, you know, we're in this interesting space where even in, you know, for for small to mid-sized companies, uh, uh, you know, selling wholesale, It's there's not a pure wholesale model at work, it seems Um, very few uh, companies are saying, well, you know, here is exactly what we sunk into this product. Uh, All the you know, all the programs around it, the trainers, the marketing, the, the origin trips, all of the investments. Um, You know, and it comes out and spits out like a per pound aggregated cost above the cogs, you know, that were more clear at this, Uh, you know, no one's really doing that. And so, you know, there is a lot of it's very squishy in that space right now where, you know, not only is it, well, you know, our hard costs of this coffee were, you know, 380 a pound or 450 a pound or whatever it might have been, you know, but additionally, we believe this coffee is worth in the context of you know the greater uh sort of specialty scene we believe this coffee is worth you know such and such a price and and i do think you know that's a it's a really tough place uh, to be um you know because you know those who are fundamentally uh, you know uh, racing to the bottom undersell at times, and those that are, you know, racing to the top or, you know, never, uh, you know, venture away from it, you know, they're missing a lot of potential growth with, you know, good, solid customers that, that are just looking for something a little more accessible. Yeah, I, I was going to
1: say, it's also, you know, in that situation or in the situation where you really want the account, but you're up against people that are, are crushing you on price is to shift the discussion to other areas that they have need. And that need could be the service that need, you know, yes, these guys are cheaper, but we offer training or, but, you know, we offer, uh, you know, uh, uh, tuning up your machines every quarter or things that they're going to have to pay for anyways. And if you have that customer service model built into your business, uh, that may be the, the, the hook that gets you your foot in the door.
2: Yeah. The narrative, the narrative changes from, well, here's the price difference to, well, you know, again, there's no free lunch, you know, you're paying for this one way or another. Right. Um, you know, if, if you want a different quality, here we are, if you want a service and a support that, that exceeds what you're currently getting, you know, here's, here's the price. And, uh, you know, that does, that's, uh, I've been there many a time and, and, you know, that's exactly, it's not even just a spin. It's, it's the truth, you know? I mean, it's a different type of, uh, type of product. The trouble is that it's not always immediately clear, you know, what's so different about it. Um, well, you know, last question, uh, you know, we're we're sort of coming in to finish here, Mm -hmm. but you know, one of the, the sort of obvious questions is how to find your customers. I mean, we talked, I think, you know, in, in reflecting on message, we talked about, well, how to identify like, you know, ways to market that might attract your customers. But I guess just very practically speaking, you know, in in your case, how did you go out and and drum up your business? I mean, you know, uh, where, what was your strategy for, for sort of identifying people to, to go after, uh, to build business and, Um, and you know, how to then try to, you know, fold them into your system to, uh, to engage and follow up and, and, and hopefully eventually close, uh, you know, and build a relationship. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, I, I think there's two things that I wanted to address here. One was, you know, the way I did in the early days was you just get in your car and drive around and pound the pavement. I mean, there's nothing more to it than that. But back when I started my company, there wasn't the, the breadth of, of, coffee opportunities that there are now there wasn't like you know people selling kegs of cold brew into into bars which is happening you know these days and uh you know or selling you know soluble packets of specialty coffee into REI these, these were not angles that anybody was chasing so you know I I was going after you know grocery stores natural food stores because I was doing all organic um restaurants and bakeries and all of that stuff when the the fair trade uh thing exploded, and uh, I was chasing college campuses because the volumes were there um, so it was kind of anything where the opportunity presented itself um, but I think where what I get a lot from customers uh, as the question is how do I find a a good salesperson. It's easy to find a roaster. It's easy to find a barista or a green buyer because we're surrounded by those people every day, especially at industry events. But what you're not surrounded by normally are salespeople. And there's not a, a, a sales guild or a, you know, a world sales championship or something to look at to to grab talent from. And one of the areas that I had a lot of luck in, in finding qualified salespeople was finding people that were kind of a little bit older, you know, post thirties from the liquor sales industry, people that were tired of having to be up till 3am pushing a brand of tequila in a bar and, and just having to do all these late nights and a lot of drinking to sell a product. Liquor sales industry is extremely competitive and you have to be extremely sharp to make it happen. And the idea that you can do what you're doing, but it's during the daytime and you're selling coffee, not tequila or rum. It's a, it's a lot uh, easier of a lifestyle, but it still involves the same amount of skill set that you have. What you end up, what I end up finding was I had a lot of very aggressive salespeople working for me that were extremely sharp on numbers, that knew how to do promotions, that knew how to get things on the shelf. And it was a, a treasure trove of finding sales reps uh, for me for quite a few years, um, because just in the industry, uh, it's going to be very tough. Because whether or not you believe it, if you're a small roaster, there is going to be a day where you do not have the time to go out and get a couch. You're going to have to bring somebody in. And and getting your foot in the door, a a deal signed, and coffee on the shelf is much harder than you think when it comes to scale. And finding qualified people… It is going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. And so my niche was the liquor industry. Some people, you know, find it in the grocery, you know, sector, uh, you know, going into the grocery store and asking the buyer who as a sales rep, do you like to interact with? Who do you like to deal with? who, who, uh, you know, tends to you look forward to seeing them when they walk in the door and approaching those people about coming into coffee for the for, for many people, you know, maybe leaving, you know, the bread industry and coming into coffee would be an interesting, you know, you know, new change for them. And it's that kind of thing that I think most companies struggle with as far as where to find accounts. This day and age, I mean, uh, God, accounts are everywhere in coffee, and it's coming from the unexpected. Every time I open a new trade magazine, I'm reading about a new, you know, business that's getting into coffee or or buying coffee or selling coffee that I never thought would be be doing it. I mean, now you're in into camping stores, and you know, bike stores have you know coffee on the shelf, and they're serving coffee in the bike shop, and things that just you know, it wasn't happening uh, you know, prior to, to, you know, when I was doing it, it was the basics. It was the grocery store, the bakery, the restaurant, and that was about it.
2: Yeah, no, I mean I feel like so much of it is a, a discipline of of uh identifying where to put the time first, right? Yeah. You know, the leads are plentiful, you know, coffee's being consumed everywhere. I think it's having a a system for for how to actually, you know, uh appraise the, the likelihood that it's a good match, you know? And yeah. and and some sort of system for for organizing that information um you know i couldn't agree more that you know it, ultimately the the greatest thing is to have you know a team or an individual you know who who finds it rewarding to build business you know someone who's entrepreneurial and self-driven and you know a connector um you know who is going out and making connections with people building relationships Um, And really finds it satisfying to, you know, create solutions uh, for people's coffee business, um, you know, that becomes mutually beneficial. Sure. Um, But, you know, giving them a clear sense also of, well, what do we care about and what's a good sale? um can be just as important as, you know, hey go get a sale. Without a doubt. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's that there's a lot to it, but certainly no lack of obvious places where where the coffee is flowing uh this day and age. I mean, it's just everywhere as consumption drives up through the roof. Um well, we're coming into the end of the episode, yeah. Mark. It's a sad moment. I yeah. uh, I've learned to really regret this time. Uh <laughs> <laughs> where we have to say goodbye. But I wanted to remind everyone listening who stayed with us, uh, you know, we're starting to take your feedback. We're really excited to hear from you. With that, uh, Mark, it's been a pleasure. I certainly yeah, yeah, appreciate always. getting to do this. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's fun to see the following grow. We're so excited that, uh, you know, all of you here that have decided to join us uh, are doing so. Uh, be well. Uh, we'll be back soon and uh, we'll look forward to uh, to talking again. All right.
1: Well, that's for, uh, for Todd and Mark. Thanks for tuning in to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. We look forward to talking to you in our next episode.
0: Although you probably already know this, we're going to say it anyway. You've been listening to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson. Our opening theme was Coffee by Going Commando. Our closing theme is Coffee and Toast by Andrew Hayes. All music is used under Creative Commons. If you would like to email Mark and Todd with comments or questions or would like them to taste your coffee and talk about it on the show, email theexchange at olumnet.com. Here it comes again, theexchange at olumnet.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for the next episode of The Exchange, presented by Olum Specialty Coffee.